Welcome to everyone. Uh, <clears throat> this morning, I, I had another message all prepared uh, and, until um, <laughs> until yesterday afternoon. And while Cheryl went through an antique store, I sat at an antique table and um, just, you know, one of those things, just and scribbled the thing down. And um, so um, I'll sort of tell you that before we start, that um, this is more of, um, what can I say, encouragement. It's more of an inspiration rather than some of the deep stuff we've been looking at in the last weeks. And so, and you know the scripture for sure, but I'll read it um, in verse 10 of the... Philippians chapter 4, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you've revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, also know how to live in prosperity in any and every circumstance I've learned the secret of being filled, going hungry, having abundance, suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Okay, that is the um, our normal version, New American Standard. But because of the nature of it, there's some Greek words in there that are very difficult to really say. And so I'm going to read parts of it anyway from um, other translations so you'll know it's not just me making this up. Um, The message translation, or rather paraphrase, he says, I found the recipe for being happy, whether full or hungry, hands full or hands empty. Whatever I have, wherever I am, I can make it through anything in the one who makes me who I am. That's pretty good. Uh, But the Amplified, I think, they've got the heart of it. Um, In the Amplified version, it says, Not that I'm implying I was in any personal want, for I have learned how to be content, satisfied to the point where I'm not disturbed or disquieted in whatever state I am. I know how to be abased, live humbly in straitened circumstances. I know also how to enjoy plenty and live in abundance. I've learned in any and all circumstances the secret of facing every situation, whether I'm being well-fed, going hungry, having sufficiency and enough to spare, or going without and being in want. I have strength for all things in Christ who empowers me. I am ready for anything and equal to anything through him who infuses inner strength into me. I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. Okay. What's that all about? Um, It's interesting. It's one of those, uh, at least most of that, many people just know that. You know, if they know any verses, they know John 3.16, and a lot of others know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 
and totally miss the point what he's talking about. Uh, that's the trouble. When you know a verse uh, and you've heard it so many times, you, many times you tend to miss what he's talking about because you're, you just know it, so you just say it without thought. The first thing that is interesting here is that it's not part of the main body. Paul was writing a letter to a group of people, and you had chapter 1, 2, 3, and half of chapter 4 is what he's talking about. Then he goes off that, and in these last verses, just where he's getting to the point of remember me to him and remember me to the other one, he, he thanks them for an offering. Apparently, where he was, it was in, in prison of some sort for the sake of the gospel. And, and somebody had been sent from the church in Philippi and they came with a significant bag of money, which was a love offering to Paul. And so this is almost his PS to say thanks for the offering. But then he goes off and actually, we didn't read all of that, but essentially says, thanks, but I didn't need your offering. It was awfully good of you to send it to me. Um, and, and, you know, I, I've thought... It's interesting when some certain evangelists on television are um, trying to raise an offering, they quote part of this. Uh, it's further down where it says, my God shall supply all your needs um, in Christ Jesus. I wish they'd read the whole jolly thing instead of just that last part where Paul is saying to the Philippians, um, you sent me a love offering, and now be assured God will supply your needs. He did say that. But in between times, he said, I didn't need your love offering, but thanks. It was nice of you to do it. Um, in fact, I have need of nothing, uh, because in whatever situation I'm in, I have an interior source of supply. Um, what, what? That sounds almost rude, yeah. you know, and it certainly doesn't help taking a love offering. Um, I, you know, we're going to take a love offering. He doesn't need it. He doesn't care what it. No, no, no. You don't do it like that. That's how, how Paul did it. Uh, why? Well, I give you the background, which is um, not really the the whole thing. But the background in those days, you know, there are laws here in the states. When you give an offering, you get a certain return in taxes. Well, they didn't have that in Rome. But they did have that if you send a significant offering to someone who is doing good but doesn't have the money to do it, the person who sent the offering now owns that person. And it means that you can tell that person, I need you here, I need you there, go and you know do your thing, but I'm now in charge of your schedule. That is what Paul is really speaking to. He is saying, thanks for the offering, but you don't own me. Um, and, and then he goes on to give the, the body of it. You don't own me because I have another supply, which is there under all circumstances at all times. Um, and then he gives to us what actually runs through the letters of Paul. You have to be a little bit of a detective, but it, it runs through them that he's giving to us what he himself calls a guiding secret. 
secret, something plain view, but you don't see it. It's a secret. And he says, the secret of the life I live. And he said, I didn't always know it. He said, in fact, the word there that he uses about the only time in the New Testament is I was initiated. I I was brought into a sort of inner circle of knowers. I, I, I know now. It was a secret. And God had to teach me this secret. And the secret is that um, I no longer need anything from the outside to give to me contentment. And he uses that word very strongly uh, and also um, then explains what he means by it. But the word contentment in the Greek is a very potent word. Uh, And that's really really what we're talking about. He says, the source of my contentment. And understand this, this is Christianity 101. This doesn't work if you think being a Christian is you don't go to hell. Um, that doesn't work, because that, that means the whole thing is a matter of uh, escaping punishment after you die. The whole New Testament is about living a life that is extreme, the very life of God inside a human being and living it now. That, that's the burden of the New Testament. And this is at the heart of that. He says, I, I don't depend on your gifts. I, I appreciate it, but you have no control over me because I don't really need them. My source of contentment does not come from anything exterior to me. My source of contentment under all circumstances, is inside of me. Um, and when he's talking here, it would seem on first read that he's talking about money. And certainly that was, that's how he got started. And so he's saying, I know what it is to have no money. He says, I've got nothing to eat, got nowhere to sleep. Doesn't matter, I've got this inner secret. And then he says other times, boy, you loaded on me. And he says, I have abundance and and I I know how to live it up. Uh, Which I find that in itself is interesting because um, you've got on the one hand people who believe that poverty is holiness. And that is nowhere in the entire Bible. Um, On the other hand, you have people that say that if you you have poverty of any kind, well, it's because you had lack of faith and, and there's sin in your life. There's something wrong with you. Um, and therefore, if you don't get your act together and give your tithes and really be at peace, no, that's not in the scripture. Paul says, it doesn't matter where I am, whether I seem to have nothing or whether I seem to have everything, he said, it doesn't really matter. I live above it because I'm living from an inner source, an interior source. Uh, I mean, t- take a, let that sink in. That This is radical in today's world. It means that exterior pressure, whatever that is, exterior pressure um, cannot steal my peace. My peace comes from another source. It's not out there. It's in here. And, and therefore, whatever the pressure, you cannot make me sad because I am living from a, a joy that is inside of me and has nothing to do with an exterior reason. Um, 
No exterior abundance can give me happiness. You know, I want to keep on saying that because in today's world, especially here in the U.S., that doesn't make sense. Uh, my, My supply, my supply... And I mean, I've lived 70 years of my life living on love offerings. Um, I've never had a salary. I, I know what this is. I know what it is to live out of the back of a car. I know what it is, you know, to get a meeting just to get some food. Um, I, I've been in the, what he's talking about. And I, I understand what he means. I learned it. Yeah. That you, You're not going to get this in a flash of divine lightning overnight he says i learned it and i i came into connection with something that an interior strength and it's a strength that bursts through to the exterior so that now you you the the happiness shows the the joy the peace the contentment shows and so what is this word content Content. Well, we we read it there. It means in in the amplified version, it means I'm satisfied to the point where I'm not disturbed or disquieted. So nothing out there can disturb. Um, you know, even in a hurricane out there in the ocean, go down so many feet and it's perfect calm. And he he is saying, there's that perfect calm within me that comes in it, comes into all of life, disquieted, whatever the state I'm in. But then let, let's go into it a bit more. It's a, I said, it's a very difficult word to put into English. It means to be fully self-sufficient. See, I'm self-sufficient because I'm not depending on this out here or that out there. Within myself, I am totally self-sufficient. And the word also would mean self-complacent. That is, I, I don't care. It's, it's, I'm, I say it again, it's so important. Nothing or no one out there can disturb what is within me. Um, and it means to be completely satisfied with oneself. And that's usually when the audience leaves. Because, <laughs> uh, <laughs> But that's what the word means. And that's why I say this is a radical thing. Uh, could I put it like this? I am aware of my amnes. You know... Um, the the expression throughout the scripture, I am. Uh, and we, because we're made in the image of God, can say, I am. We're, we're made to, and of course, sin is that which blinds us to that. We're in the darkness, so we don't know who we are. Lord, in today's world, no one knows who they are. Um, but biblically, the, our identity is I am. And you you understand, when you say I am, that brings the, that contentment. I am. It, it covers my, my needs. It covers where I plan to be and do. Uh, self-sufficient. I amness, which is a big thing with Paul. 
it, it results then in a quiet joy. I mean, not in a loud, guffawing joy. Uh, just a quiet, there's that joy that comes from such a person. It means peace. And all, in a couple of verses up, in the earlier part of this chapter, he defines what he means by peace. He says, the peace I'm talking about is the peace of God. And then he has to say that passes human comprehension. You're not supposed to be at peace. You're supposed to be anxious. But he says, this peace I'm talking about is a divine peace. Uh, and there's no human file to put it in. You just, no, I'm not supposed to be. I feel guilty being so peaceful. I'm, I'm supposed to be anxious. Uh, and But that's what he, that, that's contentment. Um, content the the world is going crazy around us but we live in a contentment a self-sufficiency i can handle this i know the way through i am able content because that means i'm not blaming anybody yeah. uh, because the natural response to this is i'm blaming god i mean he is god isn't he i suppose he shouldn't have allowed this to happen and so we, we blame god and then there's always you. My life would be fantastic without you. You, you, you get blamed for everything that happens to me. Um, seriously. And of course the devil, well, the devil gets, <laughs> he's blamed for everything. Uh, um, and, and especially if you're charismatic, God bless you. Um, find devils in bathtubs and everywhere. Uh, we, 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 that's where, you know, think it. I'm not, you know, we, I laugh when I say it, but, we're surrounded with people like this. It's uh, what we do. It's how you handle life. Blame. But this, this person doesn't have anxiety because there's no fear of lack. See, how could I be afraid of lack when I've just said I have an, an interior source, but it doesn't matter what's going on around me. I have it so... I, Jesus said on one occasion, do you remember when the, the, he was so hungry, he sat on the side of the well uh, while the disciples went into the village to get the food. But when they came back, he'd, he'd already had the whole issue of the woman of Samaria, John chapter 4. And they said, we got the food. He said, I'm not hungry. And they said, did somebody bring him to eat? And Jesus said, I have food to eat that you don't know anything about. And that's a big statement because he wasn't talking about some spiritual food. They were offering him a hamburger and he said he didn't want it because he was not hungry. Now, that's a physical thing. It meant that there was a food that he was actually partaking of that totally satisfied on the inside. And this seems to be what he's talking about here, that, that there is an interior that satisfies you. You're not afraid of the unknown that's hovering just around the corner. You know, I know this, we're having a good day, but tomorrow, who knows what will happen? Yeah, who knows what will happen? The same grace that is feeding me now will feed me then. So, no fear. That's what he's saying. Um, it, it produces a person that in everything give thanks. Because Paul said that in more than one epistle. Uh, 
But this is behind it. In everything, give thanks. I'm not uh, spending half my life complaining and the other half... No, he says, I can give thanks at all times because I have this source within me. I, I'm not defined by lack or abundance. I'm defined by the inner strength that I have. Now, I've already done it a little bit, but compare that without being unkind to anyone, without condemning anyone. But in the darkness, how, how do we handle life from being in the darkness? Um, have you noticed that the person with abundance, in whatever area you're talking about, um, the abundance, they have to have more. They're never satisfied. Oh, that's just a minute. That's the word we were talking about. They're never content. If if I have a million dollars, I I have to have more because who knows what's going to happen to this million. And so you're you're driven. You want to have more. Um, if if that food really was good, I can't go home and just say I'm satisfied. We've got to go back there and get some more. It's it's a, a need to always have too much because you never know what's going to happen. Uh, and also there is a, a possibility of despising those who have less. And so now, I, now I'm really gloating over I, I know how to make it and I know how to get it and you poor suckers don't. And um, all those things that produce no contentment whatsoever. Um, and when I have lack, when I'm at the other end, um, it produces complaining. I'm forever complaining. In fact, I'm angry at those that have more. In fact, I envy them. I want to be them. And that doesn't make a very nice person. Um, it, it's, and we're always afraid. You know, it says in Hebrews, we are governed through life outside of Christ by the fear of death. And um, it, it seems it doesn't matter what we have, we're afraid we're going to lose it and, and die. Um, and if we don't have, we don't live for today, we live for that other day when I'll win the lottery and I'll have as much as he does. Um, never content, never satisfied. I remember when I was in New York City, um, this lady, she lived out in the Hamptons on Long Island and, you know, you'd say filthy rich, uh, drove a Rolls Royce or was driven in a Rolls Royce. And that poor lady, um, she needed two or three psychiatrists because she lived in fear that she'd lose all her money and end up under a bridge in Brooklyn and die in poverty. Uh, there was no more chance of that than fly to the moon, but that's where she lived. Never once enjoying what she had. That, that's, that's where we live in the darkness. There's no sense whatsoever of an interior life, an interior satisfaction. It all depends out there what you have and I don't, what I have and I'm going to lose. It's, it's always out there. And um, that means that we live in a society of anxiety, Fear doesn't matter what we have, and we're angry and impatient 
with where we find ourselves, um, especially if we're in the lack category. Um, we, we want this to go away, go, go, go. And, and so I'm living today, but I don't plan to keep living here. It's a, today is just a stepping stone to something more when I'll be like them and I'll have what they have. Um, that means then I, I don't live today because today is unimportant. It's only I'm, I'm living today to get there. So today is X'd out. It doesn't really matter. Very sad because the fact is under those circumstances you'll always be here. It means you'll live your entire life and it didn't matter because I was trying to get somewhere else. Amazing. We're, we're like children who never enjoy childhood because they want to be teens. When they're teens, they never enjoy being a teenager because they want to be an adult. When they want an adult, they want to be teenagers. But it, we're, we're, we're a messed up bunch. It's, it is. Um, we live in this day, said Paul, this day, in the knowledge that he, Christ Jesus, holds this day whether it be abundance or lack is neither here nor there, he will fill this day with something no money can buy, which is a divine wisdom, which gives me a divine revelation of God and the divine strength to live through the day. He owns this day, this day, just exactly what it is. This day, he owns it for you. That's why it says rejoice. Um, this is the day the Lord has made. And um, the word made there in the Hebrew language, asa, it, it means to fashion. It means to play, play with clay and, and build something. Um, it's a carpenter's word. You make it a sculptor's word, a painter's word. You're making as if this is the day the Lord has made. He sculpted it. He's fashioned. He's fashioning you in the middle of it to give you something that it could never give you. That, that here you are. Um, how many times you go through a situation? Like Jacob, you said the Lord was in this thing and I didn't know it. Uh, I, I recognize. How, how, did I, how did I get through that? Yeah, it would have been a lot happier if you'd have realized that he was there. But at least we realized it afterward. Um, in that darkness when we don't know what's going on, we, we lose touch with the rhythms of life. See, I hate to upset people on this, but you're not supposed to be flying high all the time. Uh, it doesn't work. You don't. And you'd be impossible to live with if you did. Um, the book of Proverbs says it in its own unique way. It says that too much honey makes you sick. Uh, uh, that you, you don't, you don't. There are rhythms to life. There has to be down times. Um, there has to be up times. Um, whereas, if I'm in the dark, I don't get that. In fact, we begin labeling. You know what I mean? Uh, everything that comes into our lives, we label it in accord with our feelings about it. That is, it. we don't label it according to an ultimate truth. We label it by how it makes me feel. And, and so we label a situation as good, as evil. Man, 
didn't they have a tree that grew like that? Um, yeah. Yeah. A tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We go, we, we you know, we, we go <laughs> like those people who put the price on things, you know, with their gun. We go around putting the price on everything that happens to us. That was good. That was bad. And, and she's good. He's bad. And hmm. the, the fact is, um, once we've labeled it, well, now what do I do with the... Now it's labeled. It's evil. Got that settled. And, and so now what do you do with that? Well, I pray it will go away. God must. God's God, isn't he? God can just blow and it will go away. And so we pray that all the evil things and all the evil people go away, go away. We we think of, you know, going around with my magic wand in the name of Jesus, you know, you know disappear, go. Uh, of course, then we, we want uh, good, what we label good. Uh, that will come. Then, then we got rid of that and this will come. And it doesn't happen, so you lose your faith uh, because you got it all screwed up in the beginning. Um, the fact is, in Christ, we don't judge a situation. Uh, I, honestly, I don't know whether a situation is good or evil. Um, and in fact, many times what I think is good today shows up to be evil tomorrow. And also, many times, I don't want that to happen, but tomorrow I thank God it happened. No, it was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And like the Father said, don't touch it. Yeah. We, we live not according to good and evil. We live by the tree of life. Yes. And that's not the tree of life and death. There's no and there, just the tree of life. Seamless life. Yeah. We, we, we look at all of life through the lens of God's love and we feel his love coming back through the lens we've discovered life if you if you've labeled something evil then you're afraid of it um, you want to avoid it it's got your label on it it's not good housekeeping it's it's evil and therefore it's you've already determined it's going to hurt me back off we live in evil times, are we? I don't know. Um, depends who you're looking at. Depends who you think's in charge. Um, and this comes down to very practical, very practical. Uh, we fear, and I say we, I'm speaking about the world out there. Okay, can I be open myself for great criticism. Um, the last two or three years of COVID has not been so much about COVID as about the fear and anxiety of the American people, that they have sucked in, sucked in disease. They've sucked in viruses because that's what, when you fear it, you suck it in. Um, and I, I hear it. Especially now, you know, in a few days' time, I'll be 84, and a, a, a lot of 80-year-olds, you know, want to saddle up and start talking. And um, they're, they're a fearful bunch. Yes. I, I don't like talking 
to old people. (laughs) So seriously, seriously, you know, well, it's flu season now. Okay. I don't know where you got that from, but yeah, I guess. And you know, you know how it is, the older we get, the more open we are to get. I know I'm going to get it this year. Okay, if you want it, you know, by faith you can have anything. So, but we we perceive a situation as being greater than us. We're victims of life. It's destroying us. And, and we say things that are very dangerous. Remember, as you speak, so the scripture says, you control your whole body. Quantum physics has confirmed that in the last number of years. And I I hear people say, this is breaking my heart. You know there's a medical condition called heartbreak? Brought on by the words you say. How many times do you or this is making me sick? Okay, stand by. It's, I don't know if, I don't think I've heard it over here, but I was raised with my grandmother uh, saying, you will be the death of me. Uh, Yeah, listen indeed. And and then, you know, I had this knee thing done and other procedures. I've never been to a doctor. This has been a very new experience to me. Hospitals and doctors. Uh, and, and I think I'm a new experience to them. Because <laughs> <laughs> they, they come in with medical questionnaires. Pages. And I just go down, no, 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 no. And they look at me and they say, but you're supposed to be getting this now, you yeah. see. It happens to all 80-year-olds. You're supposed... No, no. And they say, you you taking these medications? No, 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 no. But unless you... If you, if you don't understand what I'm trying to talk about here, you leave that office and, you know, maybe, you know, I should be getting that. I, I went to one doctor and, and um, he says, you need a pacemaker. I said, Why? He said, well, you're coming on 84. You're every, everybody's supposed to have a pacemaker. Oh, yeah. So then you begin to, Am I, do I need it, you know? No, we live from an interior source. Mm. You don't live by what they say. You don't live by what he's got or hasn't got. We're living from that source. Amen. Um, without it, you're forever walking backwards from today. Mm-hmm. You've got to walk into it, but at the same time, like moonwalking, you're walking back out. Um, I don't want to live today. I, I don't want this to happen. It's a bad week. Yeah. It's a bad day. Mm-hmm. So you, you don't live. Amen. You don't live. Because today is not livable. So I'll wait till tomorrow. Tomorrow gets even worse, you know. Paul did not call life that was lack an evil day, nor did he call the abundance a good day. He said, that that doesn't matter. I live by life, and life has a name, Jesus, the Christ. 
I am the life. And so he is saying, my life at its deepest level is bound up with Jesus Christ. He is life. Therefore, I have no outside. It's just, it's going on, but it doesn't change me. It's interesting also, he didn't keep inviting Christ in every time things got bad. You know, you know what I'm talking about. Um, there are some churches that I guess their, their heart has revolving doors because they're forever asking Jesus in, and I guess then he leaves. I don't know. But Paul speaks in terms of is. This is something I don't have to pray about. I don't have to scream and grovel for. It is. Christ is my life. He is my source. That, of course, is very different to religion that thinks everything that happens to you is some punishment for not living according to some unknown restrictive will of God. You miss God's will. God is forever teaching you a lesson that apparently we've never learned because it keeps on coming up. I'm not being sarcastic there. I lived there once. Yeah. Yeah. And so he said, Christ is the secret. Christ being the ascended Christ. Please, uh, we did that in the Bible school a couple of weeks ago. And I realized by the reaction, people hadn't thought about that. Christ lives in me. That's not the Jesus of Galilee. That, that's, that's not the Jesus of the cross. The Christ who lives in me is the one who rose, rose from the dead, ascended, and is now the possessor and giver of the Holy Spirit. What is inside of me is the life that has already conquered death, has already conquered every negative. That, that's the life. Jesus comes, the, the Christ who is in me comes to us in Revelation 1, you know, I'm the beginning and the end, first and the last. I am livingness. I was dead. Behold, I am alive forevermore. Now that's the Christ who is in us. Because he said that would be known to us when the Holy Spirit came. And the Holy Spirit came as the proof and reality on earth of his exaltation in the heavens. And he said... I can do all things through Christ. Okay, now we've got a context. This isn't just taking on all of life and saying, I can do all things through Christ. No, come come back. What's the context of that? The context is everything we've just been talking about. It's how I handle what's happening today. And so he said, I'll be strengthened. Again, it's not an exterior strengthening anymore. There's an exterior contentment. It's interior where Father, Son, and Holy Spirit dwell within us. This is how we say God cares for me, not from up there somewhere. He cares for us within us. And this strengthening includes, but not limited to, but it includes the revelation you know what I mean by revelation? 
the the word in the Greek means to open the curtains and let the sunshine in. Uh, it's um, what can I say? Revelation is not knowing about something. Revelation is knowing because with the about comes the the insight to it. What was the illustration I used the other week? Um, knowing is like having a pantry full of cans of vegetables. But revelation is opening the cans and eating the vegetables. The Holy Spirit is the revealer. So, you know, you you didn't just memorize verses from the Scripture. Holy Spirit takes you inside and you live there. It's And so we understand what's going on. Our perception of life is now governed by this understanding. Um, or as the other scripture says, we have the mind of Christ. And we do. You know, Do you remember that scripture in 1 Corinthians 2 where it says that um, Isaiah, prophet Isaiah said, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, never entered into the heart of man the things that God has made up for him. And I I read some of the commentaries, you know, and they say, well, that's, of course, going to heaven. That's it. And uh, if you've got some of those terrible Bibles that don't only give the text, they tell you what it's about, you know, headings, ghastly things. They don't know what they're talking about. Because above that, they say, you know, going to heaven. Everything's heaven and hell, isn't it? It's always in the future. But read the scripture. It didn't say that. It says, I have not seen ears, not and never entered into the heart of men. Things that God has prepared for those who love him. Comma, Paul says, but God has revealed that to us now by the Holy Spirit. Isaiah was prophesying of this day. And he said, it's now is. He says, because we now have the mind of Christ. Did you know that? Um, we, We do. So Christ is in me, and that is the source. That's the interior source of this life that we're talking of. Um, What do we mean by that? That's a very important question. Mm -hmm. Christ is in you. What does that mean? I tell you what it isn't. Jesus is not your roommate. Because, well, some um, I've talked to some people, and you know they believe Jesus has probably the right side, left side of you, and you had the left, and um, you kind of learn to get on, and you, you then of course that puts you in a funny position because you, you will say, well, I, I don't know whether it was me or the Lord, mm-hmm. left or right, I don't know whether it was me or the Lord. Well, I really don't understand that expression. Um, because that makes you schizophrenic. Uh, And it leads to a very strange Christian life. Very strange. Um, Nor is it that we are robots. This is very popular among evangelicals. You're robots. And then I guess Christ is your handler. Uh, because their, their idea is that I've been cancelled out. And that, you know, 
we've talked about it before, wasn't me, it was the Lord. That's daft. Um, Wasn't me, it was the Lord. I saw you do it, you know. (laughs) Um, Of course it was you. So it wasn't me, it was the Lord. That means if ever there's part of me that wants to do something, I'm in rebellion, you know. I've got this wicked, (laughs) you know. Get used to being a robot, you just do it, you know, a puppet. Um, no, it's all of him. This is serious. It's all of him in all of me. Yes. And in John 17, it is said, it is patterned after, it is like the Holy Trinity where the Father is in the Son but never ceases to be the Father and the Son never ceases to be the Son. Yet they are inside each other and one. And the Holy Spirit is in the Father and the Father's in the Spirit but never becomes the Spirit. Spirit never becomes the Father. So all the Father is is in all that the Son is and they never lose each other in the other. And John 17 says that's what it means that Christ is in us. We never lose ourselves in him. He's all of himself in us and never loses himself in us. And we at the same time, all of us is in him. We we are one. Um, Think about that. So it means that I am actually participating in Christ. I'm actually partaking of his divine nature. He shares the totality of himself with me. Um, We fellowship, which is another big Bible word. We fellowship. And it's that word we we keep on going back to in John 1, uh, pros, with. But it, it means, you remember what I said, it means the actual meaning is turn toward until you're face to face. And so we fellowship. He's learning to live face to face with Jesus as he is face to face with the Father, yet never becoming absorbed in him. So I am me. I'm glorious me. I am more me than I've ever been in my life before. And he is his glorious he. And he's in me without displacing me. And this is a, it's a kind of dance, and we use that term because the Greek word here is perichoresis, which means there are two people in one space and they, they move around. Each has room to move. Uh, I, I have used the illustration before um, that the Holy Trinity can this is there's no absolute illustration for the trinity their insights and so but it, it's like have you ever seen ice dancing especially at the olympics that to me is the most amazing thing any olympian does they're doing something you really can't do that they they are dancing faster than their brain can ever think and but more than dancing, that'd be bad enough. But they're dancing with a partner who is going to be the mirror image of them. And then they're dancing to music that controls what they're doing. Sort of. 
Um, and I, whenever I see them going around the ice at 90 miles an hour, each completely in harmony with the other and in with the music, that's the Holy Trinity. Um, the Father and the Son move in harmony and total harmony, total. Even though the one is doing something different to the other, what they're doing fits in perfectly with who the other is. And the Holy Spirit is the music of the Trinity. He's the harmony. And, um, but that is described as our life, as us. He is totally, we're dancing with him. He is totally in us, and our life is a response to that. And we're dancing, and the music of the Holy Spirit is the harmony that we're dancing to. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so that, that's. Do you, do you understand this? I mean, they're not robots. We're, we're we're not. You do your thing, and I'll do mine. No, this is totally one. You know, um, we we we've talked about personality among. I mean. Andrew and Clinton, Marshall. I mean, those were well, the four of us, actually. You know, um, I'm me, very much me, my British self. I'm me. And there are things that I do, and I know that they're unique to an American audience. Uh, and, and Clint, well, Clint is his raw self, you know. But an Andrew, you know, he has a totally, totally different approach to what we do than I do. Um, and Marshall, uh, you know, I could go on that our personalities, we, we don't squash our personalities. We don't say, well, none of me and all of him. No, 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 no. He, he delights yes. to be himself in us, so that when, when people look at our uniqueness, they they don't just see a sort of blob Jesus. They see Jesus coming through our uniqueness. It's all of him and all of me in this holy dance of union. The interesting thing is, he says he discovered this. See, we, we think sort of that everything that's in the New Testament just hit Paul's head on the road to Damascus. And he said, I discovered this. And I think I know when he discovered it. I can't prove it. But um, he uses strong language. He says, I've been initiated into this secret. That's strong language. It was used actually of cults in the Bible days. He said, something happened to me that plunged me into this understanding. I was initiated in. And I realized once I was in, they didn't understand. That, that I'd, it was a secret to them, and I've, I've suddenly discovered it. And did that happen, I wonder, and I can't prove it, but I did that happen in Second Corinthians 12, when he talks about that thorn in the flesh? Because he, when he, whatever that thorn is, was, um, he started out like a good evangelical. 
Oh God, take it away. That's how he started. He said, I pray, and he said, you know, I prayed uh, three times, which it doesn't mean one, two, three. It's an expression. We, we use it. I prayed again and again. It, it's not that I'm counting. It is, it possessed my life. I was, that's all I did. I'd take this away. It's evil. You know, he even named it as a devilish spirit. Take it away. Well, you remember, God said, no, I'm not taking it away. I want to introduce you to who you really are and to what you really have. And so he says, my grace is sufficient for you. And it certainly was, because what happened afterward, Paul said he was boasting. Again, strong words, boasting in the very things that he once thought was a devil attacking him. He said, no, I'm now boasting that that is the means by which I have this, I'm tapped, source within me. Um, so he's no longer overwhelmed by a sense of weakness, but divine strength. And, and he says, God says, my grace is sufficient for you. That's a word um, in, in origin that is closely linked to content. The two words are pretty much the same. Content has its own definition, but it means, at the heart of the word means elevated, lifted up. You have complete ability to handle a situation. I'm sufficient, you know. Can I help you? No, it's okay. I got this. I'm sufficient. It is grace fitting us like a garment. Even it could be like a skin. Uh, it, It means grace comes and fits you where you are. So you have complete ability within yourself to handle this situation. In fact, the um, Greek word that Paul uses, uh, it, it is uh, the, um, yeah, where is it? Yeah, he said, most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Mm. And amplified version and the original language, the actual wording is, may make a tent over me. I'll be tented Mm. so that it comes and embraces me. And so... He embraces me within and embraces me in this situation I'm in. I have all the strength that I need. Um, This is relief. This isn't reading about a Jesus of 2,000 years ago. We're reading, as I say, of the ascended Jesus now is in us, with us, in the Holy Spirit. And this is the relief, even as far back as Psalm 23. If I, if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and he, he, he shrugs it off. It's almost the same thought, I will fear no evil. You know, it, whatever comes, I will fear no evil. Well, why? 
Because he says, you are with me. Now, with in Hebrew doesn't mean quite the same as with in Greek. But it's the same idea for sure. A covenant with. That that you are with me. It's more than walking alongside of me. It's more than I'm, I'm aware that you're somewhere out there in the darkness calling me on. It, it means that I'm joined into you where you are, I am. Then this becomes an adventure. This... It elevates sufficiency, elevates me above the situation. It becomes an incredible adventure. I'm I'm discovering this living, ascended Christ. I'm discovering the reality of his love. And that in the middle of this situation, I'm not just praying vague prayers of, of a victim, but we're dare I say, chatting on the road about what's happening and he's sharing with me who he is. It's the same thing as the Emmaus Road. That is a prototype of this, that he draws alongside those two who were shattered by the crucifixion. And he said, you know, what on earth is the matter with you chaps? And um, they said, are you the only? You know the story. And... He lets them talk. He lets them spill their guts and say, we had hoped, we had thought, and it all went to nothing. And he said, are you done? (laughs) You're done? He said, you're very slow to believe what the prophets say. Now let me give you a Bible study. And he took them from Genesis to Malachi. And he said, see, it's not what you thought. You you labeled it evil. Actually, it's the biggest good that's ever happened in, in the creative world. That's really what a. We, we've got to get used to, uh, unused, unused to this idea that prayer is groveling before a remote God and telling him what wretches we are and how just a tad of mercy would be appreciated. This is someone who is actually, actually joined himself to us, is in us, and in us. He's not me and I'm not him. Mm-hmm. So we can talk and chat. Mm-hmm. That's what this is all about. It's, um, it's the place, okay, take uh, Psalm 23, where uh, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Right? That's what it's all about. So, so we have come to this awakening, you know, metanoia. That, that radical, radical change of mind, seeing, exchange of mind. And this that we're talking about is the constant. As I say, you don't have to go to the altar or pray every Wednesday for this. Uh, this is, is, is. Yes. No was, no will, is. I'm not thinking one day I'll get here. You, you're there. One day might your eyes will be open to see where you are, mm-hmm. but um, that will only be to see where you've already been all the time. Yeah. This is it. He came and he's there. Mm-hmm. It's what the gospel is. Yeah, he discovered this as a believer. He was already a believer, and he said, I, I was initiated into this. That is to say, we're all in a process of growth. And it went, I discovered, you discovered it. That is, 
It was true all the time. Christ is in you, you are in Christ, and in Christ you are in the Father, is so. But then after he discovered it, he said, then I learned. It's a process. But of course, I've told you, haven't I, the word education, it's a very old word, and it means to draw out from you what is already there. I like that. It's not stuffing your head with what you didn't know. It's it's drawing it out of you. And, and um, well, that's this. This is divine education. He dwells in you. And that, I believe, he's talking about this when he said uh, in Ephesians 1, you pray. What, what do you pray? That the eyes of your understanding will be enlightened. Mm-hmm. So what? Enlightened to see what? The hope to which you're already called. Mm-hmm. And, and to know the exceeding greatness of his power, which is already toward you who believe. Mm-hmm. But you pray. And your prayer is opening up to show me, Holy Spirit, I'm weak without you. And so I can join him in the shout. You say, I can do all things. Whatever situation I find myself in, I have come to the absolute calm. I've come to the place where he is all that I need in this moment. And so I, I shout with him, I'm able I can, through Christ, accomplish all things. And he's with me, working his love purposes in the cusp. You know what I mean by it, it, This is the where life is just happening. Mm-hmm. I, I, I believe, and again, I can't actually prove it, though the Bible speaks like it, I believe that Jesus, the Holy Spirit, how can I put it, actually choose not to know so they can join us. Do do you follow me? God being God, he knows what's around every corner. But Jesus comes and walks with us as humans, for he's still the incarnate Christ. And he walks with us as human. And he, when he said to them on the Emmaus Road, you know, tell me what things, he could have said, okay, guys, I know everything. I'm omniscient. You can relax. That wouldn't have helped them. They needed someone they could spill their heart to, but that someone who as human needed them to tell him as God said, now here's all the answers. And that's the kind of relationship we have. He's with us right at where life is happening, in the adventure of going around the corner, not knowing what's there. You know, I've told you before, the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, he will guide you into all truth. The word guide there means into unknown territory. Mm -hmm. He's taking you where you've never been before. Jesus rested in the Father. You know, when he's told us in Matthew 6 not to be anxious, why? Why? He only had a one-word answer. He said, why? Father knows. <laughs> why would you be anxious if Father knows? It's okay. Or what he said to Joseph, well, his brothers anyway, you meant it for evil. 
There we go again, labeled. You meant it for evil. God meant it for good. Okay, that's about it. But, you know, maybe really this is a subject for another whole morning, but we often know what is true at a certain level. We know it. I say intellectual level. In a sense, we know about it. But we would say, and I'm not, I'm I'm looking now at all of us, you know, in this room and virtual room. Um, I apply this to myself. What you know, and you do know it, to the point where you say you believe it. Or confuse knowing it with believing it. Because the fact is, there's a lot that we know that really we don't believe it. Um, Because we say, Christ our life, Christ in me, the final answer to anxiety. We say that. And I really don't know a believer that would contradict me. except they're full of anxiety all the time. Uh, And they really are. I'm not being unkind to them. Um, In fact, they act as if anxiety is normal. And to say that there is a life that has no disquiet, it has no distraction, they look at you if you're weird. No, believing means I surrender myself to that truth. I don't I don't, don't believe it's true. I have surrendered myself to it wherever it's going to take me. I embrace it and am embraced by it. And then we go and act as if it is true. That is, we translate it into... We... we Prior to that, we said it's true, but acted as if it wasn't. Belief means I let it embrace me as I embrace it, and now I'm going to act as if it is true. And that means I'm going to walk on the water. I'm going to go where I know I can't go. But I'm going to go because this is true. So another way of saying it is what Jesus said to Pilate. When Pilate says, are you a king? For goodness sake, man. They're out there, they're saying, you're a king. Are you a king? And Jesus, in one of the few times he answered anybody in those sufferings, I'd love to have seen his face. He said to Pilate, do you speak that of yourself? Or did somebody else put it in your mouth? Mm. You know, speak it, the old King James, remember? Mm. Speakest thou this of thyself? Or did others tell it thee of me? Um, I remember when I first read that, I was shattered by how much I knew because somebody told me. And I wasn't speaking it of my own experience. 
Anyway, there it is. Go live it. And it won't all happen overnight. You learn it. Father, thank you for this glorious gospel, this life-changing gospel, this life in heavenly places while we walk on the dirt of the earth. And now we are asking specifically, open the eyes of our understanding that we here in this room, here in Zoom, we shall come to know the hope to which we've been called and know in our daily life and actions the exceeding greatness of your power, which is us who believe. We're asking it. We receive it. We give you thanks, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.